Welcome to the Three Strands Podcast. Thank you for joining us. It's our hope and prayer that you will experience God's blessing in your life through our ministry. At Three Strands Church, our goal is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. All right, we're glad you're here. We are in the fourth part of our series, Talking Funny. And uh, I don't know if you're like me, but uh, I've been made fun of before about the accent in which we speak with sometimes that we talk funny, but everybody around here wouldn't know that. We all talk the same, but uh, we're in part four. And so part one, we talked about the phrase, bless your heart, and just kind of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths speak, right? And then we, uh, the next week, we looked at too big for your britches and how destructive that pride is and how we all need to be humble and that nothing will keep us further from Satan than humility. And then last week, we looked at the phrase madder than a wet hen and kind of how to deal with anger uh, that comes up in our lives. And today we're going to look at one. Uh, somebody told me yesterday they never heard of this one, but how many of you ever heard of the phrase, like a, a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs? Anybody ever heard that one? Okay, good. Good. All right. So I don't know if you guys would know what I'm talking about with that one, where we're going, but that's where we're going today. Okay. Just the subject of worry. So I heard about two friends uh, who were eating lunch together and they were just kind of talking about life. And they were worried about everything. Everything going on in their lives was just like causing them just extreme worry. And one of them said he went to the doctor and his doctor told him that, he said, man, you're so worried. You should just like hire a professional worrier. That's what you should do. And so he said, so I went out and I hired a guy. Paid him $25,000 to do so. And his friend said, $25,000? How are you going to afford that? He said, I don't know. I'm not worried about it. That's his job now. So... That would be nice, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it be nice if we could just take everything that you and I are worried about and just give it to somebody else and let them deal with it? Just to be able to delegate all of the stuff that keeps us up at night and causes us ulcers and just let somebody else take it. You know, many people can't sleep at night because of all the stuff that's going on inside their heads that they're worried about. And I'd say the truth is that all of us at times have have felt like a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs, just worried, on edge, every single day. Can you relate to that? I don't know about you, but worry is one of my greatest sin struggles, and it is a sin, because I've learned that worry is just simply, uh, it's it's trying to handle my problems my way. It's basically, you know, I, I tell people it's a slap in the face to God because it's really telling God, God, I don't think you're big enough to handle my problems. So I need to worry about them and I need control and I need to take care of it because you're not big enough. But I want to encourage you this morning that whatever's going on in your life that you're worried about, that God is not up in heaven walking around worried about the situations in your life. He's got it under control. He's not up there going, man, I just didn't see that one coming in Sam's life. I mean, it just, it just took me by surprise. I don't know what we're going to do about this. That's not how God is, not who he is. He has a plan for our lives. Nothing is catching him by surprise, and all we have to do is follow that plan. But it does seem like there's this downward progression taking place in our society, emotionally speaking. And how it begins is just with general nervousness. You know, where, where something happens that causes us to kind of lose faith and that nervousness, if it's not dealt with, it will turn into worry. And worry is this emotional sense that we all have. It's kind of like a fever or a headache of the soul 
where all we see is the worst case scenario. And the two most common words that worriers use is what if, right? What if this happens? Or what if this doesn't happen? And if we don't handle worry in a mature way, that will evolve into anxiety, which is that thing in our brains that literally keeps us up at night. And anxiety will rob us of joy. It will rob us of our peace, security. And if anxiety takes an ugly turn, it will turn into fear. And and fear is when all we see is the problem. That's all we can see. Uh, When we want to just throw in the towel because there's no solutions. And if we don't fight fear with faith, then you see it on the screen, it will eventually turn into panic. And guys, panic is when we literally just can't catch our breath. Heard of panic attacks, right? You literally just can't catch your breath. And so my guess in a a room full of uh, people this size is that many of us in the past year have been through this progression at least once, if not multiple times. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, where do we turn? Okay, if we're going through this, where do we turn? Who do we look to for advice? And who do we look to for counsel? Well, good thing is the Bible is full of several examples um, that can help us. But I think the best example may be that of the Apostle Paul in the Scriptures. I mean, we're talking about a guy here who was shipwrecked. He was flogged multiple times. He was falsely accused in a court of law. He went bankrupt. He had several medical issues, and at the time that he wrote this that we're about to read here is now on death row. Anybody been there? Probably pretty stressful, wouldn't you think? Something to worry about? He is in chains in a prison when he writes this, and he gives us some counsel today for how to deal with the stressful situation. Look what he writes in Philippians 4, starting in verse 4. Remember where he's writing this from, prison on death row, and he says this, always Be full of joy in the Lord. Really? On death row in a prison? Always be full of joy in the Lord? So let's stop right there for for just a moment. And I want you to notice what Paul doesn't say here. He doesn't say, always be full of joy in your marriage. That's not always possible. He doesn't say, always be full of joy in your occupation. That's not always possible. But Paul's saying that the only place that you and I can always be full of joy is in our relationship with the source of joy, Jesus Christ himself. That's the only way we're going to be full of joy is with Jesus. He continues on. He says, I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all that you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Let's not forget that. He says, the Lord's coming soon. And here it is in verse 6. Don't worry. Don't worry about anything. Instead, here's what you should do. Pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Then, if you do that, you will experience God's peace. Isn't that what we're all after? Is just peace? Which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. He says, fix your thoughts on what's true. What's honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable? Think about those things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And then keep putting into practice all you learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. 
some encouraging words about those of us who stay stressed out all the time and worry. You know that research shows that in this next year, Americans as a whole will suffer between 7 and 8 billion headaches. And they will consume more than 15 tons of aspirin to deal with the pain. Isn't that crazy? Uh, pastor and author Max Licato, he's been my favorite author for years, but he wrote a book called Anxious for Nothing. And in that book, he gives us a better solution to the headache. And what he does is he uses the word calm as an acrostic and says that as anxiety creases in our lives, that we should begin with the letter C. And the letter C stands for this, celebrate God's goodness. Okay, so when we get stressed out and worried in life, let's start with the word calm. And the, the C stands for celebrate God's goodness. Now listen, I live in the same world you do. And I understand that every day you and I are overwhelmed with bad news, aren't we? I mean, especially if you watch the, the news every night or you're on social media, you're going to see all kinds of bad news. And so the key is in celebrating God's goodness is to go fishing for good news. That's the key. If you're just on social media scrolling through all the time and watching the news every day, it's going to be bad. So go fishing for good news. I mean, the good news is out there. There are good things happening. There are good things happening that God is doing. And if we're not looking for them, if we're not asking God for them, then we might miss out. There's not only good news out there, though. There's good news in here. I mean, there's good news in here. We have three people who recently decided to start following Jesus with their whole hearts and are waiting to be baptized. That's good news. Just last month, we were able to hire a full-time youth minister, a second staff member at a little church our size. That's good news in here. Uh, our life groups began sponsoring four kids from Compassion International, two of them orphans, um, so they'll have food to eat and clothes to wear. That's good news, you know? Chad was sharing with some guys last week. He said, I felt like I've been weighed down by student loan debt for years and found out last Saturday that $97,000 had been forgiven that I don't have to pay back. Not only that, he said, but 66000 of Tammy's student loan debts had been forgiven. And said, I felt like I just have a new lease on life. And he said that it happened right after that he decided to tithe on all of his side job earnings from his woodworking business. That's amazing. God's goodness is on display all around us if we would just look for it. And if we'll just focus on his goodness, guys, listen, it will drive the anxiety right out of your life. It will if you just focus on goodness. So Paul says, always be full of joy in the Lord. In other words, Paul's saying that gratitude, as it comes into the human heart, it will drive anxiety out of the heart because they can't coexist. Those two things cannot live in the same space together. And so today, why not go home and make a list of 10 good things that you're thankful to God for? And just put it somewhere that you're going to see it every day this week. And in the middle of a bad day, or, or when you get some bad news this week, just look at the list. Look at those 10 things that you're grateful to God for and be reminded there's a good God who is still at work in your life. Let's not focus on the negative, okay? God is doing some good stuff in your life, but you got to focus on that instead. The A is this, okay? Ask God for help. Seems simple, doesn't it? Just ask God for help. Did you know that birds eat half of their weight 
in a day, half their body weight? What about if you and I did that, okay? If you and I ate half of our body weight each day, we, we would need bigger belts and bigger bank accounts, no doubt about it. But have you ever seen a bird pacing, worried about there's going to be enough worms for tomorrow? No. Instinctively, they know that the God who created them is going to feed them. And it's why Jesus said in Matthew 6 and verse 26, he said, look at the birds. Sometimes when, when I'm worried, it's like God just says, just stop. Look at the birds. Like, All right, you know, feel like an idiot, but it's true. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. And listen, aren't you more valuable to him than birds, than they are? Paul says, don't worry about anything, but instead go to the God of the universe, the God who created the birds, and then pray about everything. Paul knew that the path to peace is always paved with prayer. He knew that. It was true back then. It's true today. The path to peace to peace, sorry, is always paved with prayer. And he also knew this, that if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. Sometimes I hear people say, ah, that's just little. It's not a big deal. It's a big deal. If it's causing you to worry, okay, it's causing you to not be able to sleep, it's a big deal. If it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. But you know, instead of pray, you know what many people do? Probably many of us in the room, we just complain. We just read something on social media, watch the news, and then we just complain. And so many people are just part of the problem and don't want to be part of the solution. They gripe about things, but they don't have any answers or suggestions themselves if they were in the shoes of the one they're complaining about. And so can I just ask you this morning, rather than complaining, have you prayed about whatever it is you're complaining about? I mean, those of you who gripe about our school system, have you really ever prayed for our superintendent by name, for the board of education by name, for the teachers and principals by name who you know love your kids? But instead of complaining, pray. How about with like state government? Complain about the governor, but have you ever prayed for him by name? You don't have to agree with him to pray with him, right? Gripe about national politics, the president. Have you ever prayed for him by name? They need wisdom, strength, and perseverance as well. They need Jesus too. So stop complaining and let's start praying. How about that? By name for these people. Every night um, before I go to bed, I kind of do a house sweep at our house and, and just kind of walk around the house, check, make sure all the doors are locked. I've been doing that since I was a kid in California because we had bars on our windows out there and it was a big deal. I was scared to death to go to sleep, but I don't feel that way here in Mayberry. But at the same time, I still do it. It's just a habit. So I walk around the house and make sure the doors are locked, you know, the lights are off and the alarm is on because I want my family to be able to sleep in safety, just something I've done my whole life. The same is true for you and I with our Heavenly Father, all right? When we pray, we enter into the presence of our Father, and He wants to remind us that this world is His creation. And listen, He's checked the doors. He's checked the lights. He knows who's coming in, and He knows who's going out. And in His presence, we're safe. So celebrate His goodness. Ask Him for help. And the third thing is leave your worry 
with him, with God. Leave your worry with God. I'm not a fan of this university, but a team of researchers at Penn State University, uh, just kidding, that's Dave's favorite football team, and Merle, so I do like this, I do like this Penn State, but a team of researchers at Penn State took people who were prone to worry, people like me, okay, gave them a journal and asked them for the next 30 days that any time a worry, any kind of worry enters into your head, I want you to write it down. Okay, that's the research they were doing. Anytime something you're worried about comes in your head, just write it down on this notepad we gave you, this journal. And so that's what they did. And they were described in great detail what they were worried about, not just school. They had to write it down in detail. And after 30 days, they came back and they collected all of the journals and they compiled the data. And here's the conclusion that they reached at the end of their study. Ready for this? that 91.4% of the things we worry about never even happen. Never even happen. That that means the terrible things that we think are going to happen probably won't. Probably never happen. But if you're like me, you think, oh, yeah, but but what about the other 8.6%? What about that, right? Well, listen, God never promised us that we wouldn't have trouble in life. In fact, he says just the opposite in John 16, when Jesus said, I- I've told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, he says the opposite, right? He says, you will have trouble. You will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart. Don't worry, in other words. I've overcome the world. I've got this. You're good. So God said we will have some trials, but that he would be with us, that we wouldn't have to walk through them alone. That's good news. Bob Goff wrote a book called Love Does. We have it back there at the Three Source. You should check it out. It's a great book, um, which sold millions of copies. And he took every penny that he made from that book, and he used it to build schools all across the world for kids that didn't have access to education. And in particular, for little girls who were pushed to the side in some cultures where girls were devalued. And because the book did so well, the publishers, they wanted him to write another book. They just stayed on him all the time, write a book, because... Best-selling authors make a lot of money for these companies. And so they urged him for several years to write a second book, and finally he gave in and agreed. And after several months of writing, he closed his laptop, and he left it in the front seat of his van while he was in San Francisco doing some work for a homeless shelter. And when he came out of that shelter, he noticed that his van had been broken into. The passenger window was shattered, and he noticed that it was Something was missing. And he looked down in his passenger seat, and sure enough, his laptop was gone. And he said, my heart just sank because of all the work that I had put into that. It was now gone. Those countless hours of writing, praying, thinking, and editing, just gone. And so he said, he, this is the second book he wrote. He said, I had to rewrite the book. I wrote the book twice, you know. And in the prologue of that book, it's called Everybody Always. It's also back there at the Three Source. Um, He writes this. He says, It's given me a lot of comfort knowing that we're all just rough drafts of the people we're still becoming. That's who you and I are. We're all just rough drafts of who we're becoming. And you know, the thing we probably all have in common in life of everybody in this room is that life has stolen something from us. Every one of us probably have that in common. I don't know about you, but but maybe it was a childhood for you. Maybe it was a relationship. Maybe it was a marriage, a job. 
but all of our lives, we all have many different chapters that make up our whole story. And we have chapters entitled, you know, childhood chapter, right? We have chapters that are entitled like friendship and dating chapter. And then there's marriage chapter, parenting chapter, career chapter. And some of those chapters, I get it, they're more painful than others. They break our hearts when we go back and, and reread them or think about those at times. There's heartache and there's broken dreams in our stories. But listen, if we don't deal with that pain, we'll carry it over into the next chapter. God's waiting with an eraser. He wants to wipe the slate clean. He wants to give us a, a clean start. He wants to allow us to turn the page. And guys, listen, if we follow Jesus, our best chapter is the one you and I are writing right now. So let's get out of the past. This picture here is of C.S. Lewis and Joy Davidman. And Lewis was from England, and Davidman was from the United States, but both of them were best-selling authors. Both of them were also atheists at one time in their life. And Lewis said he was an atheist because he fought in World War I and was in the trenches. And he said he lost several close friends in just horrific ways. Davidman said she was an atheist because she had a rough childhood. She uh, then went through this ugly divorce and later on was diagnosed with bone cancer. But Lewis ended up coming to know Jesus uh, in his 30s, and she began following Jesus in her 40s. And then when both of them intellectually got their heads wrapped around God, they began writing about it. And so some friends later introduced them, and they wrote letters back and forth to one another. And eventually that friendship turned into a romantic relationship. And they later got married, but sadly, it only lasted four years because Davidman died of that bone cancer that had been inside of her for years. And Lewis said her final words on this earth were this. She said, I'm at peace with God. I'm at peace with God. And then right before she died, she sa he said about her, she smiled right before she died, but not at me. She smiled, but not at me. You know, I was with my dad the night he died three or four years ago. And the conversation that he had with the nurse just hours before, I'll never forget. He said to the nurse, uh, he said, I'm going home today. And she thought he was talking about going back to his farm in Wayne County, you know. And she said, going home? And he said, yeah. She said, where's home? <laughs> and he said, heaven? In a tone like, lady, don't you know where home is? She said, oh, oh, you mean home home. And sure enough, he did. Guys, that's peace. That's peace that the Bible says passes all understanding. It's a peace that's been given to you and I in the place of panic. That's what God promises us. And you know in the ending of the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis describes what happens to the characters in his story, but he also is talking about us when he writes this. He says the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I can't write them. And for us, this is the end of all stories. And we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. All their life in this world had only been the cover and the title page. And now at last, they were beginning chapter, um, be they were beginning chapter one of the greatest stories which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever 
and ever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. Guys, listen, in other words, no matter what has happened in our lives up to this point, our best sentences are ahead of us. So can I just encourage you this morning, don't let past chapters define future chapters. With God writing our stories, our best chapters are the ones that are yet to come. God can turn any page. God can finish any sentence. We're never stuck. So celebrate his goodness. Ask him for help. Leave our worry with him. And lastly, the M stands for meditate on good things. Meditate on good things. You know, once you and I have experienced the peace of God, don't, don't go back to what made you panic. Don't go back to that life. Well, the question is, how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, Paul said in Philippians 4, 8, 8, and now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Here's how you do that, in other words. Fix your thoughts on what is true. Probably not going to find a whole lot of truth on, on social media in the news, okay? Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. And, and as you're hearing this, think about your own life. Is that what you think about? Things that are excellent, worthy of praise, lovely, pure, right, admirable? In verse 9, keep putting into practice all that you learned and have received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then, if you'll do those things, the prerequisite there, then the God of peace will be with you. So that's how. I don't know if you're a fan of Fred Rogers or not, but uh, he was a good example of this. Mr. Rogers was seen by many as soft, but he wasn't. He was one of the strongest men to have ever lived. And in his autobiography, A Wonderful Day in the Neighborhood, it was made into a movie. And in that movie, there's this powerful scene where Fred Rogers is sitting at a diner and he's eating breakfast with a journalist who'd been hired to write an article about him. And the journalist had a rough childhood. Uh, his dad was a raging alcoholic. They had actually gotten into fistfights. And his life and marriage was falling apart. And I want you to look at what Fred Rogers was able to do for this man. Take a look. Bill was right. You love people like me. What are people like you? I've never met anyone like you in my entire life. broken people. I don't think you were broken. I know you are a man of conviction. A person who knows the difference between what is wrong and what is right. Try to remember that your relationship with your father also helped to shape those parts. He helped you become what you are. Would you do something with me, Lloyd? It's an exercise I like to do sometimes. We'll just take a minute and think about all the people who loved us into being. 
can't do that. They will come to you. Just one minute of silence. Thank you for doing that with me. I feel so much better. If you've ever seen that movie or watched Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood growing up, but that clip there is powerful because silence is uncomfortable, but it's necessary. In a world with so many voices and so much noise now, Silence is needed more than ever. And so can I ask you the same question that he asked him? Who is it? Who has loved you into being? When you were watching that clip, who was it that came to mind when you watched it? Was it a parent? Was it a grandparent who loved you unconditionally no matter what? Was it a coach who believed in you? Was it a teacher who showed you something you didn't already know? How about a friend or a coworker, maybe, who, who they just refused to give up on you? Who loved you into being? Who encouraged you? Who built you up? Who strengthened you? And I want to encourage you this morning, imitate them. Imitate them. Become like them. This world needs more loving people, not less. Some of you may be sitting here thinking this morning, I could sit here for 10 minutes, and I could not think of one person. Okay, I love you. I know there are people sitting in this room who love you, that you are surrounded by people here this morning who want what's good for you. I know that. And from that aspect, God's been good to you. Today, he's been good to you. And so if you begin um, to question the goodness of God in your life and what your role is in this messed up life that you think you have, There are three questions that you need to ask yourself, and here they are. Is Jesus' tomb still empty? Is Jesus still on the throne? And is Jesus still coming to rescue us? And guys, if your answer to all three of these is yes, that makes him good. That makes him trustworthy. And you may think, when God looks at this this world that he's made, he must be shocked at, at what's going on. No, He's never shocked, he's never taken by surprise, but he is saddened. He is saddened. But the good news is that he's still in control. And because he's still in control, we can trust him. We can. This uh, Samuel Armas, I used to use this picture in health class back in the day, but when he was 20 weeks uh, gestation, 
Um, at that point, you know we need 40, nine months to fully develop in mom's belly before we can enter into the world. When he, he was at the halfway point, the doctors did an ultrasound and discovered that Samuel had spina bifida, which just meant that his spine was growing outside of his, his skin. And it was going to require surgery at Vanderbilt University by a surgeon named Dr. Bruner, who was able to operate on him while uh, he was still in the womb. And so they performed the surgery, and halfway through, when the doctor was repairing the spine of this baby, who's not even completely formed yet, this happened. Again, you may have seen that picture before, but the little boy reached out his hand, and he grabbed and took hold of the surgeon's finger. It's amazing. But you know, that's a picture of our relationship with God. We're utterly helpless. We are completely dependent on Him, and we need Him. And we as Christians trust Him that He has our best interest in mind. That as we take a hold of His hand, that God is going to do for us what we can't do for ourselves. That He won't let us go. And so I want to encourage you this morning, don't let go of Him. Don't let go of God's finger of His hand. He's promised if we'll hold on, He's promised us calm. He's promised us calm. Let me read it for you one more time as the band comes up. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Listen. Always be full of joy in the Lord. I say it again. Rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord's coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And then thank Him for all that He's done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice everything that you've learned and received from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you.